Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr, you listen to Looking Sideways, the podcast where I look at the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode. I'm in the shed. I mean, I was going to say it's like my new shed. It's not my new shed, it's my old shed, but I've set it up to record in. And it's great, especially with the sun shining. Yeah, almost like a little studio, as I think I said the other week. Anyway, I'm back after a week or so off the podcast. It wasn't intentional that, to be honest. I've been trying to book a lot of the old guests that I've had on the list for ages. And like buses, they've all come along at once after a little bit of a break. So I'm currently at the beginning of a pretty busy few weeks where I'm basically going to be recording an episode every day or two for the foreseeable future. And I started with today's guest, the great Jeff Johnson. Jeff is probably best known for his film 180 Degrees South, although he called it 180 South, which sounded better. A film that saw him travel to Patagonia with uh, Yvonne Chouinard and Doug Tompkins in homage to the original 1960s Odyssey that is such a defining part of the Patagonia story. It is on YouTube, that film, on a bit of a shit version, which is quite sad. And I couldn't really see, you can watch it in the States, but I couldn't really work out in Europe or the UK how to watch it other on than on this badly ripped YouTube version. But I'd really recommend it because it's it's a really great film. But there's much more to Jeff's career than this admittedly epic high point. He's a surfer, he's a skater, climber, filmmaker, photographer, journalist. He's another one of them who's had one of them questing roving careers I like to feature on the podcast. As you're going to hear, his story is yet another example of how a bit of front and a lot of passion can lead you to some extraordinary and interesting places. As the stories of how he got his breaks at the Surfers Journal and later Patagonia as their staff photographer illustrate, and which we do discuss during our conversation. So me and Jeff first started chatting about a year ago. Around the time I did the Jamie Thomas interview, he's friends with Jamie and I think he listened to it and we got in touch and yeah, we agreed to try and meet at some point in the future to record an episode. Then obviously lockdown kicked off. So I gave him a shout to arrange this one. I got to say from our correspondence, I had a feeling me and Jeff would get on and I'm glad to say I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, which we recorded in mid-May 2020 using the new podcast protocol of zoom and if you me sending people mics or asking them to get hold of a mic which jeff did and as is now traditional we had the obligatory half an hour of faffing while we got everything sorted and worked out zoom anyway we got there in the end and then we got stuck into this leisurely and like i say highly enjoyable conversation about jeff's life and time so i'm gonna crack on i'll be back at the end but in the meantime here's me and jeff mountain of storms enjoy So yeah, basically don't touch anything. We should be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't let me touch anything. It just goes awry as soon as I do that. Yeah, all good, man. <laughs> all good. So how you doing? You all right? I'm good. Good, yeah. yeah just uh, aside from the tech- technical difficulties, um, I'm doing well. Yeah, I think this is, this, this is like the theme of doing these podcasts now. Yeah, oh, yeah. You got, you got to go through these this little tech, tech side of things. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good, man. We've got like the the annual British heat wave. So, oh really? 
Wow. Yeah, we 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 hit like you know seventy five degrees today. So. <laughs> Ooh, scorching, scorching hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, no, it's been really nice. It's been good. So yeah, I've been out walking the dog. Oh, good. Doing a, doing a little bit of walk, work. Yeah, you know. Where, where where do you live? Where where you where you live currently? Uh, I'm in Brighton on the south coast. Oh, okay. I've been to Brighton a long time ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. When was that? Oh geez, man. Uh, early '90s, probably like '90. 92, 93. What we did? Uh, I was um I was a flight attendant on an airline for for like twelve years, and ah uh, oh, I actually saw that on I watched your, it's, it looks like it's some kind of like TED talk or something that you did. Um, oh yeah, which is um, online, and there's a good there's a great picture actually, of you as the oh yeah me serving food. Yeah, you as the trolley yeah. dolly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I did that for. 12 years long time and and um when i first started i had a layover in brighton yeah um, right because gatwick's like an hour uh, no not even like f- half an hour away so yeah right. yeah and so i stayed there i was actually there for a couple of days it was kind of nice and then um went to scotland from there and all right that. but but brighton was a cool 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 town i, I dug it, it was, yeah it's like I, classic studio seasides you know music scene yeah good culture yeah, yeah. I could have stayed there longer for sure. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. It's like I've been a actually been a twenty one years now, which is pretty wild. Mo- moved mm. there on like a little bit of a whim. I was doing a lot of uh snowboarding seasons in the French Alps. And oh, okay. I'm from Manchester originally. Oh right. And you know, it was one of them where I came back from a season with a load of friends, I was like twenty, and we're like, Ah, oh, where should we where should we move to? like oh, i moved to brighton and i you know here we are i didn't really surf at the time though i was like because my backgrounds i got into all this through skating and snowboarding really uh-huh. so surfing was like a bit of a later thing for me so at the time i didn't okay. really i didn't really I, I, let's just say i didn't pay enough attention to the quality of the waves as i should have done because yeah uh, yeah 20 years later that's that it, that conversation comes around a lot it's like why didn't we move down to Cornwall again? Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, you, what, did, what attracted you to Brighton? To be totally honest, partying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, you said you moved there in your 20s, right? Yeah, I moved here when yeah. I was 21. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, it's a good party town. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm super into my music and there's there's a, there's a lot of live music here. There's a, yeah. there's a lot going on so yeah and it's it, you know it's a good good summer spot definitely yeah in between tra- trips to the mountains yeah but you were over in um scotland recently right yeah yeah um with um i work with a brand called rourke i don't know if you're familiar with them but um so yeah we we do they do trips you know three two to four trips a year and uh that was our our trip last fall no two falls ago yeah and um it was such a great trip yeah and i um i don't normally mix family with work i've i've tried to do that and it's a little difficult but um Bit my stressful. wife and, yeah yeah it, it, i i love to think i could but it's just too too tough especially with a little kid and, yeah uh, so we have a four, three or four year old daughter that we brought over there so i did a family trip in france uh 
before the Scotland trip. So we went to Paris and hung out there for like three, three or four days, and then went down to Gittery and surfed. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was just such a great trip. And then uh, dropped my family off in uh, London with some friends, and then went to Scotland. So it was just a great couple weeks there. Super fun. And what what do you do with that brand then? Are you like an ambassador? Yeah, yeah. And the the two owners, the two Ryans that own it, um, Ryan Hitzel and Ryan Siriani. I've known them for twenty years or whatever. Uh, they're fr- they're Laguna guys. They uh, they grew up in Laguna, and I met them through um, John Rose. Are you familiar with John Rose and Waves for Water? Uh, yeah, I know the name, but I, I, you know that's about it, really. Yeah, John's a he's an old friend of mine, and I met those guys through John and and. I, you know, they started it basically in their garage in Laguna, probably 2008 or nine, maybe 10. And right. um, so they pulled me on board uh, about a year ago. And yeah, we've been doing trips and I'll write for them. I'll take some photos. Their, their main photographer is uh, Dylan Gordon. Okay. So when, when we do trips, he does all the heavy lifting and I still shoot photos, but it's more, more or less at my leisure. And um, so... Yeah, they're they're a great brand. They make really good gear, and and the trips that they do are just so fun. Like every trip we've been on, they just try they try to combine a lot of different things. You know, like one trip we did to Argentina, we did a pack trip on horses back in in the outback of Argentina, and and uh, then we went snowboarding and climbing. And Jamie Thomas, you know, he's on he's on work too, and he he did a bit of skating, and <laughs> so it's nice. kind of an yeah, it's, a, it's an eclectic bunch of guys, and so we're always kind of doing multi-sport travel, you know. Um, and each of us is getting out of our comfort zone, you know, because usually one of us hasn't done one, you know, one of the things that we're doing, you know. like. Yeah, right. Yeah, because um, I, I, I've kind of seen it online, and it that brand's got a really nice aesthetic, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a real particular feel to the to the kind of shoots that you and the trips and 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 obviously the products as well but yeah because yeah. it's not it doesn't really have a profile in in europe i don't think so i think i just knew uh, it from from following you and jamie maybe yeah yeah they're they're getting bigger you know they're they're growing but it's kind of i think it's uh a, like it's a gradual slow thing and i think that's intentional you know they're they're really careful about their branding and their message and and um I'm, I'm sure you'll start to see it pretty soon out there. It's especially in this day and age, you know, the surf industry and all those brands have kind of collapsed a little bit. And um, yeah, so I think there's brands like Rourke, these smaller brands are the ones that are going to start to flourish a little bit, I think. And um, yeah, it's it's cool. Then the owners are the you know, they they come from uh, traveling lifestyles like their parents took them around the world when they were young. And and so travel is just the pretty much the main component to that whole brand so um it's really kind of it's really kind of it's not easy but it's a simple way of looking at things they they just do every every season for the brand they just do a trip and they get all their assets from that trip they do videos and photos and stories and stuff and then they get all the inspiration for that for the pieces in that collection you know that from that area um yeah. scotland scotland they did a whole thing on tweed and yeah and went went to visit where all the tweeds made and all that stuff so did you uh, did you do the whiskey tours you must have done so that's oh yeah obligi- that's kind of obligatory up there isn't it yeah it was really cool i'm a, I'm a tequila drinker 
and uh, I love really good tequilas, and I'm not much of a whiskey drinker, but the uh, I was on that trip, you know, and it's, I learned a lot about whiskey, of course, things I didn't really know, and um, I, I enjoyed some really good Scottish whiskey, for sure. Yeah, oh man, I, love, I, I can't wait to get back up there. Obviously, I'm not going to turn this into a COVID conversation because we've all had enough <laughs> for them, um, but like, yeah, me and my wife have been saying... I mean, we could probably travel now, to be honest, but um, yeah, yeah, definitely going to head up to Scotland. I think maybe like the Western Isles is um, mm. on Lewis. I don't know if you know Lewis. It's a really nice, I mean, there's some great waves up there. And um, yeah, just a lovely, lovely trip. I think, you know, it's going to be a lot of UK uh, holidaying, vacationing this year. So oh, yeah, kind of yeah. looking forward to that. Might might go to the East Coast as well and surf up there and yeah explore the home the home country a little bit yeah oh you guys got I, I i i love europe i spent so much of my time in my 20s and 30s traveling to you know the south pacific and you know southeast asia just because i lived here in hawaii and and was surfing a lot and as i got older i started doing these trips to europe and and i i just wish i did more european travel when i was younger you know um so I, I could I could live in Europe. I just love it over there. I just I could, where, where would you I, live if you if you moved over here then? France. Uh yeah, maybe the Basque Coast. Yeah. Um, it's great. Something isn't like it? that. I've never been to Portugal. I'd love to go to Portugal. I've heard great things. And um, Portugal, I love I mean it's 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 obviously amazing, you know. So yeah. such great waves and such great communities down there. Yeah. And just the the food and the people and just the lifestyle. Uh, you know the surfing lifestyle there is so different you know it's a you know have a little lunch have a little wine at lunch go surf again come back have a you know coffee and some ice cream (laughs) you know like just the food and culture it's just so great but you just moved back to hawaii right yeah yeah um we're coming up on a year now we moved here last june and it's been it's been really, really great. Like I, I lived, I lived on the North Shore here from ninety, I think ninety to two thousand four, two thousand five. Right. So I sp- spent quite a time, quite a bit of time here, most of my adult life, and then moved to California, and and I've been there for about fifteen years, and I always talk to my wife about moving back, and I've always really missed it because I think um, when when I look back, I like I said, most of my adult years have been spent here in Hawaii. Like, you know, my, the twenties and the thirties, it's when you grow a lot and when you meet a lot of your best friends. And so a lot of my best friends are still over here. And so I always talk about moving back and finally we just, we just went for it. We just uh, decided and within a month we were, we were gone. <laughs> so. Uh, was that like a, cause you just turned 50 as well, right? Was it, was it, yeah. was it all, was it a reflective thing? Was it, we, you know, were you feeling like, time to put the final roots down kind of thing um no i think i think like i i like the only reason i really left is because i got a great opportunity to work with patagonia and i wanted to do something different in my life and it was a great great change that needed to happen and um but the whole time i was gone i just really missed it over here you know for 15 15 years i just really missed it and um, it just, the stars kind of aligned and, uh, 
And yeah, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like it just popped up this last year or so. It's it's been an ongoing thing that I've wanted to do and right. And and it was it just kind of like I said the stars kind of aligned. My wife and I were talking about moving here and as we were talking about it, I get a text from my friend with this house that's for that's for rent that's available and I showed my wife the house. I go, "Look, we got to go. We just got this text." And so we got to move into this great little house here that um a friend of mine her dad built and he passed away um, a couple of years ago and it's right it's right at rocky lefts um you walk out on the beach you're just looking right into the left and then you can see sunset beach just down you know a few hundred yards down to the right and the wow. house the guy that built it um her dad um doug ackerman he was a really kind of a renowned architect and he built everything by hand, everything himself. He wouldn't let anybody help him. And he built the little house that I'm in right now. It, we, they call it the birdhouse. And he basically built this tiny um, six feet by 10 foot, two story little home that he would live in here while he was building the big house. Right. And um, so, yeah, so now my the birdhouse is my office and and uh, the house is really unique. It's kind of like an A-frame, um, really small, and uh, it's just a cool little place. So when this house came up, you know, th these things don't come up that often, you know, especially nowadays on, you know, living on the beach and on the North Shore, it's hard to find these houses. So as soon as this came up, we just put our house up for rent in, in Santa Barbara and just moved over here, like, within a nice. month. We were, we were gone, yeah, so. And um, how's it been? Has it lived up to the the memories that uh, you know what what have you found what you wanted to come back to yeah you know the north shore has changed so much in um in the last 20 years it's really really changed and um there i i see the changes even more so being gone because you come back and there's if, if you live here during the changes it's kind of a slower gradual thing but when you come back in chunks you just see how much it changes over months and months and years and years and so there's a you know there's a lot of traffic now on the North Shore, um, especially in the summer. Summertime over here used to be really quiet, like uh, you know from like you know May through September, you know there's hardly any cars on the road. It's just so vacant, and um, that was kind of like a nice time for all the residents here because you got a break from the crazy w winter and the crowds and stuff. But now there's a tourist season in the summer, so there's even more traffic. It seems like in the summer. So the North Shore kind of doesn't really get a break anymore. It's just nonstop. Um, so the traffic's pretty bad. There's a new thing called turtle traffic down by Lanikea, um, the one of the first surf spots on the North Shore. Somehow all the um, the brochures started putting this this uh, beach on the map that you could see turtles. And right. within like one season, all of a sudden you just have this turtle traffic that you know, a 10 minute drive, 15 minute drive into Haleiwa is now can be like, if you leave at the wrong time, it could be like a 45 minute drive just to get down into Haleiwa. So that's a little rough, but um, but it's still, I, I still think it's the best place on earth, you know, for, I just love to be in the water all the time and not necessarily for good surf, it's just the access here. There's a lot of shitty days in Hawaii, but there's a lot of shitty days here that I would surf all day, whereas in California, <laughs> I probably wouldn't surf, you know? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're just in the water a ton, you know, you're, you go, you know, snorkeling in the summer, you go body surfing, you surf, you ride foil boards, Hawaiian canoes. I mean, it's just endless, you know? 
Um, so when, how old were you when you first moved there? I moved to Hawaii, to Oahu right after high school in 1987. Um, I was 18 years old. My buddy and I moved over here and we lived in, in town uh, right next to Diamond Head and lived there for a while and then came back to California for like a year and then moved back the second time to the North Shore in 1990. And then I was here from 1990 to about 2004 or five. Right. It's a good old stint then. Yeah. 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 It was a great time. The, the North shore in the nineties was uh, pretty, still pretty raw, you know, still kind of the wild west, you know? Um, yeah. There's a lot of the old guard was still here and you know, it was, it was definitely a lot heavier scene than it is now. How, um, how's that community taking this new rally then? Of, of that of the north shore well you mean it, are people like are they receptive to it or are they bummed or are they is that yeah i mean you know obviously yeah. it's such an iconic place and has such a reputation and yeah. you know what you what, what you're describing it is is change so um just interested in in on seeing how it's going down really you know it's the 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 turtle traffic it's so funny. I mean, people talk about the turtle traffic all the time because it really is rough. Like it's such a, a shock to just be stopped going, just going to the, to the post office down in Holly, even you're just stopped in this traffic. And it's just because people are getting out of their cars, crossing the street and checking out the turtles. Yeah. It's, su- it's so rough. Like, so people are definitely really pissed about it. And the Hawaii hasn't done much to fix that or um, so yeah, people are pretty bummed on that. But I think, you know, for the most part, everybody here still really loves it and really appreciates where we are. And, and um, you know, it's it's I was talking to um, a friend of mine the other day and we were just talking about the traffic. And I go, well, you know, I just spent 15 years in California, you know, living in Southern California. And I go, well, at least when you you sit in traffic here and you get out of your car, at least you're on the North shore, you know? Yeah. In LA, you get out of your car and you're in, you know, in LA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you're from, you're from California, right? So presumably there's a a part of you that's, that's quite happy to, to, to not be there anymore to a certain, you know? Yeah. And, and the, you know, the communities, it's still, it's still such a unique place with a lot of characters and, and um, it, the, it's definitely more of a family vibe here. Whereas in the 90s, you, you had some families for sure, um, but it was just mostly a bunch of dudes out here, you know, a bunch of guys surfing. So now there's so many kids and so many families with little kids that in the summertime, we go out here right at Rocky Point and every, every evening, it's like clockwork. There's like 20, 30 kids out there playing in canoes and surfboards and boogie boards. And there's families on the beach and it's, uh, it's really cool. It's really different. You know, it's, it's a, it's a lot softer than it was in the nineties right. for sure. But, um, and I kind of miss that old guard a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, right. But it's a, it's a cool scene out here. It's, 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 it's totally, it's, it's totally different now returning um, I lived I lived here for so long as a single guy on the North Shore, and now coming back with a wife and a kid and a job, and um, it's totally different. I, and it's so fun to see to experience the North Shore now through my child's eyes, you know. To yeah, take bet, yeah. All these, yeah, and that that to me is like I'm just in in heaven, just watching her check it all out, you know. 
Oh, there's a nice synchronicity to that, isn't there? You know, yeah. to like to do the doing your twenties, like we were saying, you know, partying, whatever you're into, like charging. Yeah. Thirties, go off, do the work thing as you did, really. Um, and then forties, fifties, come back, bit of grounding, you know, it's yeah. it's kinda of, it's kind of the cycle, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds Great. like you've got you've you've got a good one, like to uh, to have ended up back there. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm so stoked. And you know, I just I when I lived here before, I lived right at Rocky Point, just a couple like hundred yards down the beach. So I moved right back into my old neighborhood, essentially, and everybody's still here. <laughs> it's so great. That's it's funny. like it's like I never left. I just kind of plopped right back into place, you know. Yeah, so it was super and fun. Are you, are you working on a book? Did you say when we were chatting over email? Uh, a book? Is that yeah? Is that what you, is that what you're working on? Uh yeah, it's done. I put it out um, this last fall. It's a, a skate book that I've been working on for about ten years, and um, it's called it's called Way High Kick Turn. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a passion project that started in 2007. I got an email. It was the first time I'd been on YouTube. Um, Facebook wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> so I, I get this email and says, oh, check out this YouTube thing. So it was, I clicked on the link and it was a video of all my buddies and I in 1987 skating this backyard pool. And, wow. um, and there's like 15 guys CC'd on that, that list and everybody started scanning their photos and kind of sharing them with the email chain, you know, Facebook right. wasn't a thing yet. So that was kind of how we were doing it. And um, just the banter and the just it was so fun you know just to all of a sudden see all these photos but i kept on dragging these photos off into a, my desktop folder right and and uh you know eventually it, w it went on for months this kind of email chain and eventually i had probably three to five hundred photos from that and then i went to some of my buddies houses that were actively shooting photos during that time and and um collected from them and so i had you know to, to start building the thing, I had probably 1,500 photos that I whittled, whittled down to a couple hundred. and um, But it took me, you know, 10 years to, to make this thing just because I then had to figure out whose all these were. You know, that email chain was gone. All of a sudden right. I had these photos and I don't know who took them, where the originals are. So then I had to spend years basically hunting all these down and you know, driving to people's houses and going through their shoe boxes. And wow. So, what, a, so not, what a project. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And just, just the, uh, just that was enough for me just to go visit, you know, it was a great excuse to go visit all my friends and, and catch up yeah. with them. And, and, you know, none of the photos are mine. It's all, it's all, I wasn't shooting photos back then. Um, so I just curated this whole book and, and the, it's really interesting because the, the early photos, you know, it's basically from 1975 to 1989 in the, it's a skate scene in the East Bay of San Francisco. And the early photos are, are really unique because they're shot by somebody's mom or dad with a little point and shoot <laughs> yeah. or somebody's kid sister or whatever. And, and so they have this really unique kind of naive quality. And then as we got older, um, some of my friends got real cameras and were shooting and and um, it's just a port. It's basically a portal into that time. You know, it's a, the '70s when things were really commercial with skating, and then it all fell apart. And uh, you know, when it, skating reared its head again, it was, you know, it was, it was like the early '80s. You know, punk rock scene, and and 
it was just a really interesting time for skating, you know, and um, where all of a sudden we had to fend for ourselves. And, you know, it was the era of the backyard ramp and backyard pools. And um, yeah, some of those, um, again, on that, on that talk, you did some of those ramps you lot put together were hilarious. Like some of those, <laughs> yeah. those platforms is that, that rolling one right and i was looking at that like i mean that's just so funny because that's just what you like in it you know you, you're not worried yeah. about whether it's dangerous or not you're just like let's 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 do this let's do this. some some brilliant yeah you know some amazing shots and also just the the vision of some of it like because there's like a vert ramp that you guys built right which is proper yeah, the first ramp, we the, the first real ramp, I mean, we, we had a bunch of smaller ramps and then like little half pipes. Um, and, and, you know, the Thrasher magazine had, uh, they came out with some ramp plans one time and everybody had that out. And so, yeah, like, I, I the, think it was a little giveaway booklet thing, wasn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. but the but everything was eight. It was really funny. It's eight foot wide, eight foot tall, eight foot transitions, eight foot of flat. Yeah, you know, so th we built a couple of those, and um, but then we finally got permission to. I don't know how we got permission, but we built this ramp on this uh, our friend's um, uh, tennis court, and it was huge. It was you know, it was thirty two <laughs> feet. There's thirty two feet. Wait, wait, twenty feet wide, twenty four feet wide, I think. Um, you know, nine feet, nine foot high, like a foot of vert, eight foot transitions. It was huge, and it. You know, we stole all the wood and we ended up getting caught stealing some of the plywood and we all got thrown in jail cells and stuff. And <laughs> it was crazy. But I look at that. I was looking at pictures. I'm like, man, it, it, we are just like 16 year old, 15, 16 year old kids building this. And, you know, we didn't have any help from our parents or anything. And, and pretty, pretty big job for kids to pull off a ramp that big and yeah, and, right. You know, and build it properly, you know. So that and, was kind and, of the first one. And to persuade whoever owned that tennis court to let you uh, put it on <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. You know, we're all lying. You know, people are, you know, the parents are going, where's this wood coming from? And like, oh, my dad's a contractor and blah, blah, blah. He's got, and then yeah. I'm telling, my parents are asking me where the wood's coming from. I'm like, oh, Joe's dad, he does this. And, <laughs> you know, like everybody's just pointing fingers. And, but yeah, eventually we got caught. And, um, so skating, skating was your way in then. That was your first kind of introduction to the life you ended up living. Yeah, skating was a big part of, of uh, I think there was a big change that happened in my life, you know, like you do when you're 12, 13 years old, you go through this little rebellion. And, and that was that was definitely um, a, a big part of my life. And a lot of my friends that we grew up with, we look back on those days and it's is such a, it's, it's a time that really affected the way we do things now as adults, you know, it was really such a um skating was so different back then you know it's the 70s was kind of this colorful you know surfing imitation um you know you had the z boys and stuff but those were like those guys were so far-fetched you know it's a they're you know older guys down in southern california um but when when everything shut down and skateboarding basically died and all the magazines disappeared and a lot of the companies disappeared um when it reared its head again, it was it was so interesting because the music was different. You know, punk rock was was just starting to come about. And like when you're when you're like a you know 14 year old kid, 13 year old kid, and you hear that for the first time, I think it's hard for kids to realize now how straight things were back then. You know, like 
yeah it's a real you common theme on the podcast this like how and, and i'm the same you, you know you're a bit older than me but not by much but <laughs> i i'm 44 i can never remember 44 um so yeah you know i was like mid 80s when i started being aware of music and yeah yeah, yeah like it was still genuinely countercultural, wasn't it you know when oh you yeah discovered, for sure when you discovered that music when you discovered whatever way in you had it, it was different from mainstream culture and it was a way of finding that identity wasn't it you know yeah and at the time you had you know yeah disco which is just like this glamorous kind of cocaine riddled you know world that was just not our scene at all and then you had like these glam bands kind of these glam fake metal bands and you had these big arena rock concerts and it was just such a weird scene to to all of a sudden hear punk rock for the first time it was totally mind-blowing you know it's now you listen to punk rock you're like whatever you know it's but at that time when you're when you're a kid that age and you hear that you're like what the hell is this it was so fresh and so new yeah and just the styles and everything i mean it's hard for people kids are to to realize this but like even if a guy had an earring just an earring back then that was like a heavy thing you know like yeah you know and uh yeah, so it was just a different time. But yeah, so that that was a huge time for all of us. You know, like a lot of my friends and I, we all played sports and we basically quit all our sports and got haircuts and skateboards and and just skating was our life. Like, it, And it still is like I, I don't skate as much as I used to. But when I'm driving down the road, I, I'm, I'm always looking at curbs and like, oh, look at that. You could hit that. And like, you know, I still think through the the eyes of a skater, you know lifelong habit that isn't it yeah 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 and i still love skating i follow skating i i, I just I, I just think skaters are some of the coolest people in the world you know it's still skaters are still so hardcore even though it's it's grown so much you know and i and i kind of make a claim in the book i think um whereas i think that that dip in the early 80s that w where skateboarding had a big check I think that really defines skateboarding today because I think without that much needed check that it went through, I think skateboarding might have had a totally different trajectory, you know? And because of that dip, skateboarding is still so hardcore, you know? Um, well, and the influence that skating had on the others as well, particularly snowboarding. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, without, without that and then that subsequent influence you, you know that sport for example whatever you want to call it sport lifestyle activity yeah. would have gone down a very different path you know as if yeah, i think we, sure. i think with snowboarding is like a a fine line between windsurfing skateboarding at one point uh, you know yeah thankfully yeah, it went, yeah. <laughs> thankfully it went skateboarding exactly um, yeah 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 i mean when yeah. i look at you know did did the research obviously ahead of this one and one thing that struck me looking at the decisions you've made is there's a lot of like making your own look in, in, in from what I can see from what you've the, the, to follow the path that you've done you know there's a story about basically just rocking up at the surface journal and saying yeah you know hey here I am and then and then the Patagonia thing as well you kind of made <laughs> that happen yourself didn't you and I, I wondered if that was a legacy of that skateboarding sort of DIY thing you know to have the confidence to do that because it's not that common really and those those two examples i'm sure you probably can there's i'm sure there's many in your life it's quite a confident thing to do isn't it you know well yeah it's it's uh it's interesting because it's it's there's two things going on there i think there's one 
Um, I didn't do well in school at all, like never. Grade school, high school, tried college, couldn't do it. Like I was a really bad student, probably have some sort of learning disorder, <laughs> you know, like that right. hasn't been discovered. But um, so I was really... I was really behind in school and that that was a great insecurity because when you're the kid in class that's kind of behind and you know you either become uh, a troublemaker or you quit you know and so um since i didn't do well in school and didn't go to college i i've and i'm i, I can only realize this now looking back as an older guy i didn't know this at the time but like i think i had to do things differently because i wasn't taking the normal path to begin with, you know? And it wasn't like yeah. a conscious, it wasn't a conscious thing like, oh, I gotta do things differently. It's like, for survival, I had to do things a different way because I couldn't do it the, the normal way. Um, so I think stuff like, you know, the, the Surface Journal story, um, there's a little bit of that is like, okay, you know, I wrote this piece and I was like, how, how could I get this in the Surface Journal? You know, there's all these great journalists and writers and surfers and stuff that have published articles in there and like how how am i gonna you know i have no background in any of that how am i gonna get my thing published in there um so i how had gonna, to how you gonna stand out basically isn't it yeah how am i gonna stand out and then my my dad also was a great influence on me he he taught me this really great work ethic as a kid you know he um really wanted me to learn the 40-hour work week you know and just get up and work really hard and which which he did but it kind of backfired a little bit because i was like okay i'm not going to do that my whole life you know i was going to say how um, did he take the way that it panned out then <laughs> well yeah i mean well it's funny it's like i i became a surfer and traveled the world and like you know i spent my 20s and 30s basically not working or half my 30s um but uh but when i but i have a really crazy work ethic like i like how you and i were talking earlier you know i get up at, you also do the same thing you get up at five in the morning and you just power out all day so he did instill a great work ethic, but what he told me is he said, hey, you know, the best thing you could do is just show up. And he told me about, he, he, was a, he was a general contractor, and he told me about this kid that showed up this one summer every day, asked them to work, hey, can you hire me? Can you? And they're like, no, no, no. Finally, they hired the kid just because he bugged him so much. <laughs> and, and he did a shitty job, and they ended up hiring him again because he bugged him so much, you know? Yeah. And so my dad was always like, hey, just show up. And, and uh, so I always took that to heart. You know, it's like I, when I wrote that thing for the Surfers Journal, I um, I basically flew over there and gave him a call, you know, and I said, hey, you know, I just kind of introduced myself. Um, it, it, it wasn't like a cocky thing where I showed up. I'm like, hey, what's up? This is my shit. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I was really like, hi, you know, I'm I'm in town and I'd like to drop some things by, you know. And, and I think what why that was unique is that no one does that. They just send their stuff in or whatever. So here I was just on their doorstep. You know, next thing I know, I'm in the office with with uh, Scott Hewlett and Steve Pesman. And, and these guys are like my heroes. You know, Surfer's Journal to me still is, I think, one of the best publications well, in the yeah, world. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, set, you set your sights pretty high from the get-go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to go for that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're my favorite publication. Like, I've been a subscriber from the beginning. I have every issue. I'm such a, a total nerd when it comes to that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was – and, you know, I, I, I 
showed him my stuff, showed him the photos and, and, um, and this, the article I wrote and everything. And it was just great. I was just so excited. I'm like, who cares what happens after this? I just hung out with Steve Pesman and Scott Hewlett. You know, how cool is that? And, uh, and then they called me and they said they were going to run it. I think this was in 1999. Um, so that was the first thing I ever wrote. And the first, yeah, first thing that got published, and what I, I didn't find out till recently, Scott Hewlett texted me or something, and he said that was his first week at work too. So it was <laughs> both, it was like my first one, and that was his kind of first one too, you know. And uh, so, so it was really, go. yeah, it was really cool. I didn't know that about Scott, you know. But um, yeah, but you're so right though. I mean, it sounds like your dad gave you really good advice to you know so many kind of like aphorisms about this isn't there you know like it, it is about the work and it's about putting the effort in as much as it is about the the spark of creativity or or whatever you know yeah, it's, yeah. it is it is sitting down every day and turning up isn't it really you know? yeah i mean that that and and, and that's going to it's probably happening less and less these days too with um with our devices and all that you know it's like people aren't going to be just showing up but um, but if you can, if you can just show up, I think that just blows people's minds, you know. It's, yeah, uh, I'm here, <laughs> you know. So that was the start of of of. I'm gonna use the inverted commas, but the career that you ended up with <laughs> essentially is as like um, well, it's just a weird word to use, isn't it? Because it sounds like it's calculated. Um, but so that was the beginning of 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 the path that you ended up following, like f- photographer journalist which then led to obviously filmmaker and and as we've talked about the role with patagonia was that was that the kind of first time you thought well there's something in this i could i could maybe quit the quit the airline yeah yeah the um you know i just like you said nothing none of this was calculated at all um i i had no idea i would be doing this even when i got that article published I wasn't like, okay, this is going to be my thing. I was like, wow, that was really cool. Maybe I'll do a couple more of those. I don't know. Um, it definitely um, definitely kind of uh, put a fire underneath me when getting that thing published. You know, I was really excited about possibly doing more of that, you know, but I didn't think it would become something that I would do on a regular basis or even make a living at, you know. Um, and then getting a camera was kind of the next logical step of storytelling. You know, I, I, uh, I always carried a little point and shoot with, with me during my travels. And, and, uh, so I got a camera and just started taking pictures and, and, um, yeah. And I started getting things published, you know, in magazines and service journal ran one of my first photos. Um, and I just really enjoyed doing it. I just love documenting things and and um but yeah the the, when the patagonia thing happened it kind of happened simultaneously with me getting more stuff published um i developed a relationship with patagonia um in two ways one they were sending me board shorts that i would test because i was literally living in board shorts you know 24 7 over here on the north shore so i was testing and giving feedback on board shorts and some clothes and then um they were they were running some of my photographs i've i've written a couple stories for them and then and then the the photo editor there jane sievert she she really supported me she saw something that she liked in my photography and started paying for my uh, film and processing for certain shoots which back then was a lot you know is if you you know a whole day of shooting could cost you five hundred dollars and just film and processing you know 
yeah it's a big barrier to entry that wasn't it yeah yeah so it's all very well having a camera and and an eye but to actually back then to actually kind of produce photos was very expensive wasn't it yeah especially when you're not making money to begin with you know you're kind of poor as it is and so so that was a big deal and and she really i really owe her a lot to my career because she saw something special and fostered that you know and, and um and but i didn't really even consider myself I, I i still at that point this is like the early 2000s i didn't really think of this as a career or a way to make money it was just this fun outlet for myself i i i found that i had a creative side that i could tap into and that was really exciting you know but um yeah but i it, by no means did i ever think it'd be a way to make money you know or a career what what do you oh. think of it now um at, at, at 50 do you, do you do you see it as a do you see it as a career now yeah you know it it years ago i remember i was i was filling out some customs paperwork i think going into mexico or something and and i had to to write my occupation and you know i i've been shooting i guess kind of professionally for a few years at this point but i didn't really consider myself a professional photographer i don't know why um, but I remember signing that paperwork. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm a photographer, you know? And uh, so I think it was actually writing it down for the first yeah. time and accepting the fact that, oh, I guess this is what I do, you know? It's and, funny um, that, isn't it? Because that's a real psychological giving yourself permission, isn't it, almost? Because I'm the yeah, same. Like somebody, yeah. I, I've been doing this podcast thing like three years and somebody said to me the other day, like, you know, as a podcaster, and I was a bit like, well, that's funny. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you are, you are, you're, and you're, and you're Turns good out at I it. Turns out I am, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're really good at it. It's very um, kind, thank you. But I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's giving yourself permission, but I think it's also, on the flip side, it's kind of shutting other things down too. Like you, you, I, I think I've, maybe there's a subconscious thing where you don't want to get pigeonholed either way you know I, um, I i almost think it's like a fear of failure i almost think it's like yeah that maybe, too for sure you know like sure. it's like oh god if i say it out loud i might jinx it you know yeah or if i write it down and tell people i'm a photographer now i gotta really be a good photographer yeah know? exactly like oh, fuck i might get found out here yeah, yeah. exactly exactly and, and uh yeah but the patagonia thing it sounds like you kind of made the job up though right because you ended up as effectively like staff photographer is that the case yeah, it was, um, it was, I didn't know that. Um, it was just part of my, um, kind of my pitch when the, the Malloy brothers and I came on Patagonia. Um, my position and the way I pitched it to the CEO at the time was like, hey, you know, you're going to need somebody that wears many hats. You know, this is basically a startup within the company and, and somebody that can do a lot of different things. And so this is when they were trying to develop surf, right? Yeah, yeah, and um, and they they had done it they'd done it like three or four times prior to us, and and they failed every time, and and so the Malloys and I came in thinking that um, we, we had to do things differently to make this thing successful, you know, and 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 part of my part of my pitch was like, hey, just my photography alone will justify my salary, you know, and um and and i didn't know that i just assumed patagonia had staff photographers all the time and it wasn't until 
maybe five years later or something, um, they were making the Patagonia put out this book called uh, Unexpected, and it's like 30 years of catalog photography. And and the creative director at the time asked me to write a story about being the first Patagonia staff photographer. And I was like, wait, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, write a story about that. It's a cool story. And I go, I didn't know I was the first. And he goes, yeah, you're. So evidently, that, I was the first. You know, um, that's but, hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. But uh, yeah, it's really exciting time for sure. Yeah, what a gig? Like, what a dream gig? About these people listening to this that are like, oh, you know, because <laughs> it, you know, because then obviously you get, you get to, it's a green light, isn't it? You get to travel, get to, and and presumably also have a creative input, you know, to to kind of yeah. plan projects that you wanted to be involved in. Well, yeah, and it was so, I learned so much with my time there at Patagonia, like just about the way the company works, the way business works, the way the world works in that arena, um, clothing, uh, marketing, all that. And of course, Patagonia, you know, it's, they're pretty outside the box with their marketing and stuff. And and then I would sit with the photo editor, Jane Sievert, and go through other people's selections and um, I really developed an eye because of her, you know, like we, we, we do these experiments where a submission would come in from a climber, like a photographer or whatever. And she goes, look, you, you go through it and do your selects and I'll go through it and do my selects. And our selects would start to be on par with each other, you know, or mine on par with hers, you know, right. Um, just because I was so um, used to shooting for her and um, kind of developed her eye in, in a way. So it was, I learned a lot about photography and, and, and everything else is just a really really great time and yeah a good, good time at the brand yeah well it's 10 years since 180 degrees south right as well so yeah which which is kind of probably the thing that you're best known for you know in the wider the wider world so how did that come about was that another is that another pitch of yours was that an idea that you had well, that that's got a crazy uh backstory like um so i i lived on the the North Shore all through the 90s and um, early 2000s. And I shared a house with the Malloy brothers, um, Chris, Keith and Dan. And um, so we lived, we all lived together here at Rocky Point. And, you know, seeing those guys, you know, Chris was starting to make a bunch of films in the, I think, uh, mid to late 90s and doing really well at it. And I was, um, of course, getting into photography and writing and stuff. And I was also getting into climbing at the time. And we were in uh, Ventura visiting Chris's parents. And um, this girl um, came up to me that was working with Patagonia named Amy Kumler. And she, she had this old VHS tape and she handed it to me. And she's like, look, I think you and Chris should see this. It's going to blow your minds. It's basically been sitting in the Patagonia vault for like 30 years, 40 years. And we're wow. not supposed to wa- we're not supposed to watch this film outside the company. She goes, "Look, I snuck it out of there. You guys got to watch this, you know." And, and I'm looking at this thing, and it's just an old dusty VHS tape that says "Mountain of Storms" on it. And so Chris and I go to his parents' house, and we plop this thing in the VCR, and it's basically the 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 trip that Yvonne Chouinard and Doug Tompkins did in 1968, where they drove a van from Ventura, California, all the way to Patagonia to climb Fitzroy. Yeah, and we're the watching legendary, the legendary mother load trip, isn't it? Like, yeah. And, and we're watching this and we're going, how, why has this been sitting in a vault for so long? And it's, you know, it's, it's got originally scored music. It's got little 
little breaks where it says insert commercial here or you know stuff insert ad here or whatever and and it's it's a full finished movie and it's basically the Patagonia brand right there you know and um at this point we weren't working for Patagonia this is like around 2000 I think and um right and I wasn't doing I I don't I think I might have been getting some I might have had a couple photos published with them but um so Chris and I immediately began scheming on making a film either documenting those guys or kind of some something in the same vein where we go and do all these kind of you know we surf and we climb and travel and do one of these kind of big epic adventures and um we actually had a rough uh kind of a false start we started in, in australia we went over there and did like a climbing surfing road trip and filmed it all on 16 millimeter film um, but that's still in the can we haven't seen that footage yet because it didn't turn into the trip that we wanted it to turn into Right. Um, so that was kind of a false start. And then fast forward to 2004, the Malloys and I get hired at Patagonia to do the surf thing. And then Chris and I, we've always talked about that project, but we never did anything with it. It was just kind of this dream like, hey, let's do this this thing, you know. And, and, um, and so Chris, you know, when we, you know, around 2005, Chris and I started talking about it again. We're like, hey, now we work for these guys. Let's let's pitch this whole idea to them. And, you know, way easier in now that we work for him, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And Chris had gone on and made, you know, during that time made a lot, made a bunch of films and doing really well at it. And um, so Chris made this really great pitch deck and pitched the whole thing to them. And and I didn't know where I was going to, um, like what my part would be in the whole production or anything i was just like, oh maybe i'll shoot photos maybe i'll write some of the script um i didn't know what my kind of contribution would be i just wanted this film to happen because i think i thought it'd be so cool you know um i'll try to make a long story short but they um so they they got the go-ahead and they started to you know get funding and do all this stuff and and then chris was getting all these like basically these video applications of people wanting to be in the film you know like basically casting you know right and and so chris is you know because we had access to like you know dean potter who was alive at the time you know climber dean potter we had you know maybe his wife steph was going to be in there we get keith in there and then we're talking about another surfer and so we had access to these great athletes and and so Chris came over to my house one day and he was really distraught. And I go, what's going on? He goes, man, he goes, this whole thing just doesn't feel right. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, I'm like, I'm getting these like casting videos for people I don't even know and getting pressure to, to kind of hire some of these people from the outside world that I don't even, I don't even know who these people, I know who they are, but I don't know them, you know? And, and I go, well, you'll figure it out, you know, like just whatever and, and he goes well he goes i think i have the answer and i go well what is that and he goes this is your story you know he goes <laughs> he goes he goes this is like you and i have been talking about this project for like five years and this is your dream as, as much as, as it is mine and you have hung out with yvonne a bunch and this is you this is the story that's the story and um I was kind of a deer in headlights, you know, because I, I didn't. Yeah, that's, I had, that, that's out of your comfort zone, isn't it? That's like, <laughs> yeah, I was that's like, like you know, it's one thing to be like, hey, I might take some pictures, and but yeah, to suddenly be like, 
I think you should front this. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, and and uh, and he goes, I don't want somebody like an actor or somebody polished, you know. And I go, well, you'll definitely not get somebody that's polished in there, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that took a lot, kind of um, to to you know, it was a big shock to me, and to kind of roll that over um, took. How a did while you get your head? Of, how did you get your head around that then? Because that's that's a big, that is a big undertaking. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. And Chris kind of, he, he's so, we're such close friends, you know, and he goes, you know, and he goes on one side, he goes, I really hate to do this to you. <laughs> he goes, cause you won't, you won't be your, you know, you'll be more public than you are now. And he goes, I, I know you like having, you, you like where you're at in life, you know, and he goes, this will change things for you a little bit. And he goes, I almost don't want to do that to you. <laughs> yeah. um, cause he's done these films, you know, he knows how it goes and, and, uh, and he goes, well, think about it, you know. And so I, I did. I didn't just say, yeah, okay, I'm in. You know, I, I thought about it for a long time, and and uh, yeah, the, I mean, it, it even gets crazier. I don't even know if we want to go too deep in the story, but like, I just met go this deep, girl. Go deep. No, I got, I just met this girl that I thought, you know, was going to be pretty serious, and I was like, man, Chris, I, you know, I told him, I go, I, I've been, I've sacrificed so many relationships just doing what I do, traveling, and just being kind of a surfer derelict, and. You know, like, and I go, I don't know if I want to jeopardize another relationship for this trip, you know, and, and he's just going, you know, I, I hear you, you know. And so I almost, I won't go too deep into it, but I almost didn't go. Right. And, uh, so it got, it got crazy, it got crazy, you know, but then next thing I know I'm on a boat sailing, sailing to South, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Wow. Was, and then, and it turned out brilliantly. I actually had yeah. Keith on the podcast and I didn't ask him about the climb I, I, I oh it was only after yeah. it was only afterwards I was like I can't believe I didn't ask him about that <laughs> so quickly I mean if people haven't seen it so basically you drag Keith up um what was the route El, El Capitan it's uh the North American wall and El Capitan North and, American wall wasn't it which yeah. was if Yvonne put up first right in the 60s yeah yeah he did the first ascent I think in 64 or something 63 and Keith um, can't. Keith's not a climber. No, not at all. I've taken him on a couple small little climbs, just as like fun stuff to do, but um, not a climber at all. And, and basically, that decision came from the original Mountain of Storms movie that that we saw. And, and if you if you watch the 180 South, uh, Chris used a lot of that footage, that old footage from that film. Um, so that, but that. The original film, Mountain of Storms, it's all about sandbagging each other and getting each guy out of their comfort zone. Like Yvonne hadn't skied much at that point, so they take Yvonne skiing down a volcano. Um, right. There's a guy on the trip that's never surfed. He goes surfing. They take a guy all the way down to Fitzroy. I think the skier, forget his name. Um, they take him up Mount Fitzroy. He's never climbed before, you know. So yeah. I really love that whole spirit of kind of the sandbagging and the, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. So that was my idea is like, hey, let's let's start the trip up in Yosemite. You know, it's, it's a historical ascent by Yvonne Chouinard. We're kind of, this film is, a, is an ode to him basically. So let's, let's take Keith Malloy up the NA wall on El Cap, you know? And it was, it was, I, I, I didn't think it would, it was, it was just a harebrained idea. I didn't think it would really take, you know? And, and I, I asked Keith if he'd be into it and he's like, 
sure, I, I guess. Like he had no idea, you know. Like, yeah, he what? didn't know what he was. He didn't know what he was agreeing to clearly. Yeah, and like when that. he said yes, he he just he then he finally he looked me square in the eyes. He's like, "Well, is it is it safe?" And I was like, what? "Like, what do you say to that?" You know, like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, is You're paddling, paddling out of <laughs> is paddling out of Mavericks is that safe? I, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like I, I hope you didn't say that. No, no. Um, but it was no, a, it's I, great. I mean, I watched it again the other night because it's. It, I mean we were chatting on email and I was like, can you send me a link? And there's a, I couldn't find like a real dodgy ripped copy on YouTube. Um, but I watched it again tonight and yeah, it's it, 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 fair play to him for doing that. I mean, that is, that is pretty punchy. Oh, I, I, I mean, people were just blown away that he even agreed to do that, you know? And, and, um, he's afraid he's really is afraid of heights. And uh, which is, I mean, everybody's got a healthy fear of heights, you know, um, but some people more than others. And he's definitely afraid of heights. So, you know, we're up on that wall for um, seven days, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's no, it's not like he could turn around. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's still, I mean, he would never do it again, but it's one of the greatest weeks of his life, you know, even though it was just, hor- <laughs> it was a lot of it was horrible, but. He, yeah, um, he, he he got to climb El Capitan with some of the best climbers. Not me, but um, we had some guys, Timmy O'Neill and Dave Turner, that dragged us up that thing, and and he got to sit out a snowstorm, a really nice snowstorm that wasn't windy. You know, it was, it was a such a great trip. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, when was the last time you watched it? I don't think I've seen the film in its entirety for years. Yeah, I don't know. I got really sick of hearing my own voice, you know, like you want to try getting a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now you know how it is, but you know, when you first hear your voice, I don't think anybody likes the sound of their own voice, you know? And then I was no, going, it's so weird. It's such it, a weird thing, isn't it? It's so weird. And so I, I'd go to all these screenings and have to sit there and every time the movie would start and I hear my voice, I'd just sit there cringing in my seat, you know, and just like, ah, oh, I can't stand yeah. this, you know, but, um, but I haven't, I haven't watched the whole thing in a long time yeah you should watch it again i'd be really interested to see what you think because obviously 10 years is is like a, a good period of time isn't it and you know we talked one of the themes of the stuff we've been chatting about today is like how your perspective changes isn't it and and that's such a snapshot isn't it for you that, yeah, that project. yeah oh it yeah, must yeah. Be. crazy crazy point in time you know yeah so yeah. 50 this year has it been a reflective time is it i guess it's inevitable really isn't it that you you start start to take stock a little bit yeah you know i think um it's not necessarily the age i think it, it kind of also has to do with having a, a kid you know yeah um, right of course so i i started kind of late in life like i didn't get married till i was what 43 or something and then you know we, I had it, you know, had our baby girl, had her when I was 47 and, uh, now I'm 51. Um, yeah, I, th- I think having a, a kid definitely does that, you know, you start reflecting a lot and especially now moving back to the North shore and getting to relive all my favorite haunts with, with my little girl and see things through her eyes, you know, it's definitely nostalgic and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I don't think I'm more ref- I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's the age or it's, it's, it's probably a little bit of both, you know, um, kids have a great way of, um, putting things into perspective for you pretty quickly, you know? Um, 
Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I think moving here, one of the main things is is just. Uh, I just love how good you feel in Hawaii. You know, there's, you're just out and about so much. Like I have friends that come here on vacation, and after a week, they're just exhausted. You know, because <laughs> yeah, I had a friend. I had a friend come and stay for a while when I used to live here, and and um. I was like, hey, let's go surf. You know, he's like, I can't, man. I'm so tired. And I go, what, you're too much paddling? He goes, no, just walking on that deep sand on the beach. My legs are sore. Like <laughs> just walking, he was just, you know, and, and um, it is just such a, I, you know, a big part of my life is being outdoors, you know, so that just the access to, to being outside a lot over here is just, I felt it would also make me a better father, you know, I think um, to, 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 to have so many things I could do with my daughter, you know. Yeah, um, but yeah. I don't know what that... um, what's what's the work situation? What you're up to at the minute? Because you know, do you sound like somebody who's always got a project on the go? So you know, you mentioned you're working with Raw. Is it is it that kind of thing? Are you doing sort of still shooting ambassador stuff? Is that is that how it kind of boils down right now? Yeah, yeah. I um, well, I had the the busiest year I've ever had was last year. I mean, it was crazy. I was gone. So more than I would like to be, but it was just a great year. And, and, um, and, and then I carried that momentum up through this year and I had, you know, a lot of jobs lined up for this spring. And, um, of course all that went to the wayside cause of the COVID thing. Um, but it's been kind of nice. It's been a great break. I mean, just, to you know, not taking the COVID thing lightly. I mean, it's a horrible thing that's happened, you know, but I think there's some real pluses i think everybody's going to feel that there's some silver linings there you know for sure um yeah it's, well it's been an opportunity for maybe not on a on a like a governmental level but personally just an opportunity to take stock isn't it yeah and to, yeah and to, and to look at your life and well you know a lot a, a lot of obviously it's been a pretty urgent economic reason to take stock for, for most people. Like, okay, yeah. what, what do I actually need? What's important? Like, what, what can I live without? And I th- I, I've certainly found those answers surprising personally. Yeah, but, I then I, but then I always knew what they were deep down, I think as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why you're finding them is because you already knew, you know? Yeah. And um, that's been quite, that. I know what you mean about the, you know, when you, the, the caveat that you said, ah, oh, you know, not to downplay it, but I think that's a real thing, isn't it? That, it's quite a strange feeling of almost like guilt about the fact that some of the, some of the experience has been positive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. On a personal level. Yeah. So you found, you found that personally then you found that you've been able to kind of reevaluate a few things. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about skateboarding falling apart in the eighties, how it made that dip. And I think it had to check itself, you know? And I think that in, when it reared its head again, it was a whole different thing. Um, I think it's similar. Like when you have these things happen, it forces you to take stock, just like you said, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, there's been some great things to come with that. And, and I've been, um, you know, I was on such a roll work wise that, you know, I got to publish my book, the skate book, which was like an ongoing project for like 10 years, but, um, it was cool to sit down and start, you know, I, I have all these little things that I've been writing over years and haven't been writing them. And, and I'm, I might start putting out these little self-published books, like these these small zines, like these you know twenty to thirty page little books and stuff. And ah, so, nice. So it's been fun. I've been going through my archive of photos and looking at things, and and it's been good. Um, but yeah, I've been, yeah, I, and you know, for work, you know, like my 
I haven't been on a photo shoot for months, you know, because you, I can't, I have to travel for work. So, um, but I've been doing a couple things here on the island and, and um, doing um, some interviews like we're doing now. I've been, for, for the Rourke guys, I've been doing these um, Instagram live chats and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you did one with Jamie, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really, what that one with Jamie is like, I wanted to go so deep, but we only had an hour. And yeah. so we just kind of brushed on a lot of things. I wanted to really go deep with him. But um, but yeah, so I, I've been keeping busy. I mean, busier than I thought I would, you know? Yeah, um, that's great. So how have you found doing those? Because I've done a few of those. It's quite a strange format, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, you know, the first one I did with Rourke is, was uh, one where I just talked to the phone. Yeah. And, and they say, hey, can we, can, it was just like uh, me in my office, t- you know, talking to people and then taking questions, you know, but that one threw me off because I'm, I don't really, I don't do, I don't do selfies or talk to the phone really. And so that was the first time I actually pointed the phone at my face and yeah, same with me. And it's so fucking weird. It's It's so, it's so weird, man. Like, yeah, it's like the most, it's the least forgiving format as well. You know, if you, if you're like, I might actually try and do a bit of live presenting. Because I, I mean, not that, I, that that's how it came about for both of us, but you know, it's suddenly it's like, okay, I'm going to do that. To yeah. do it in that format is so weird. Because I was it's, the same. I was like, I couldn't even physically look at myself on the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was able to really it's, force myself to like actually look at it, and and you know. Well, and no one's be, talking back to you, so you're just talking like you. You say a sentence, and you're so used to normal conversation where somebody goes, yeah. at least they go um or ah. Uh, or they say yes or whatever, but you're just like talking to yourself, but people are watching you. It's the fucking weirdest thing. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's a good experience though. It's a good fast track. I did about eight. I'm oh doing, wow, wow. Uh, yeah, like for Patagonia actually, because I've got the Patagonia podcast that I do, and um, so over here we did, uh, we did one a week for eight weeks, and I was doing one a month on a Friday night. Oh wow. And I got, I got to say, at the end of the, when when we would decide to do them, go monthly, I was quite glad <laughs> just because one a week was quite full on and you know at the time i was like ah oh, you know whatever hour hour a week yeah but to get to do it well was 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 definitely challenging yeah well that, not that that's i'm even a, sure i did do it well but you know i gotta check those out i i haven't listened to those yet i gotta i gotta listen to those. i didn't know you yeah i'll send i'll send i'll send you a link I've, I've saved them all and i keep this is funny i keep means put them on youtube but i can't bring myself to record the intros because uh <laughs> You know, it's one of them where I'm like, fuck, I need to just, just do this. But just well, I, I'm going to yeah. do it this this week. So I'll, I'll send you a link. Oh, I'd love to um, check it out. Yeah. So another question that I had, like, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is obviously, you know, you've got this real long view of the, the cultures that we that we're interested in from skating, as you've described, you know, time on the North Shore. Like, how 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 do you see it today? Are you are you positive about? you know, the way things are in, in, I think skate, you said you're still super stoked on like, yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts on, I, I'm going to say it, the state of surfing right now. <laughs> I didn't mean to phrase it that clumsily, but you know, yeah, but, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you have got this real long view of it. Yeah. And it's, it, what, how do you see it? Are you, are you positive about it? What, what, what are your views? Well, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, I was listening to the interview you did with Chaz Smith the other day. And, oh uh, yeah, that one that that one polarized people. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm a big fan of his work. I love I yeah, love. Yeah, he's great. I I, yeah. I thought he was. Brilliant. I really liked him. 
yeah, he's he's awesome, and he he I love his book, the uh, Welcome was it Welcome to Paradise? Now go, go to, to hell. hell. Yeah, North Shore book. Yeah, it's good. And he he's such a great voice, and and I just love that book, and he just he tapped into so many things, so many subtleties here on the North Shore that I just loved it, and um, I love hearing his perspective, but. It's funny. I was sitting there um, talking. You know, you know John Pizel, the shaper. Have you heard of him? He's like, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. yeah, he's one of my closest friends over here. And we were talking about um, Chaz and like how the podcast that he does with David Lee Scales, like how how off they are on all their information all the time. <laughs> like just like we're going, God, like. And I I think Chaz knows this, and he doesn't care. That's his whole thing, you know, like. As in, but, off in, in terms of like the industry chat. Well, uh, just so many different things like um, where, where you're kind of like, that is not the right information right there. You know, like it's it's just funny, you know, like I can't I'm trying to think of a of a of a thing like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think David Lee Scales said something like, yeah, you know, like building a house like Dan Malloy did. And I'm like, Dan Malloy's never built a house. Like, what are you talking right. about? <laughs> you know, right, right. Little things like that, you know. But uh, Chaz said something on on your uh, podcast the other day that I thought was interesting. And, and he, where well, I totally disagree with him, but he said that he was blown away that he, saw, he thought surfing was like this crazy rebellious subculture, you know. And... And he goes, I guess I'm, I've been wrong, you know? And I, I go, how would you think that? Like, I think it, it lost its subculture kind of edge years ago. You know, I think surfing has lost that entirely. Like, I mean, I'm just saying for the most part, like generally the, the surf public is totally different than it was maybe, definitely different than it was in the 60s and 50s, you know? Um, yeah. But I don't see it as this, this uh renegade rebellious subculture at all anymore and i think that was lost a long time ago you know i it's a real, I, it's a real powerful founding myth though isn't it that you know that that trope that we're talking about that, yeah. that you identify that he is it's got such curious power in, yeah. in surf culture and i mean i obviously completely agree with you like yeah. those days are just gone aren't they they're long gone yeah, and I mean, and you guys talked about it a little bit too about the the industry has always been really conservative, you know. Um, surfers are it's I I I agree with Chaz for a little bit because I kind of live I kind of built this fantasy around surfing where I still think of surfing as that thing. Like I love my my favorite part about surfing is these guys you never hear about or see around, and and they really are living these lives that are just true characters, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love celebrating those people because that I still live in this fantasy that that's what surfing is, is like this really unique um, individualistic lifestyle. But the reality is that it's just not, you know, and the, and the industry is just very telling of that. Like it's, it's just like, it's so, um, I guess bl bland is what you can say. I, if, if you compare it to skaters, like skaters are so forward thinking and they're so just like, fuck you, we're doing what we want, you know, whereas surfing is a bunch of conformists, you know. And um, and I'm, again, I'm just saying generally, you know. Um, yeah, I was going to say there must be some pockets. Or oh, things for sure. That... For sure. And I, and I think also like um, going back to David Lee Scales and Chaz, like 
their their world that they're living in is that they're they're kind of the product of Southern California surfers, like the stuff they talk about and everything. It's it's like that's kind of the heart of of like the the culture almost is coming from that little world there, spreading out through the rest of the world. You know, it's like yeah. Um, well, that's that 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 I always just think that conversation is self perpetuating, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like yeah. the more you talk about it the more you the more you kind of make it real and that's kind of what they do yeah but i yeah, think like yeah. what was interesting about the conversation with Chaz is he he just obviously feels a bit trapped by it yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's like at which he's almost like he's created a monster isn't it you know yeah, you can't yeah. really can't really escape from which well, is I... really really fascinating to hear yeah you, you can really hear it in his voice that he's really distraught over it he's like holy shit i thought it was this thing that it's not well, but he, yeah you know. he's i mean he's obviously so clever yeah yeah you know, he's, he really he's obviously is. such yeah. a bright guy yeah and like such a great writer that yeah i mean i i'm just very interested in what he does next because yeah yeah because even at the end he gave himself a get out he said ah oh, well i'll probably still be doing breach grit yeah um, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah really but yeah like it was funny that one because um there's it, it doesn't ha you know it has a profile in the uk that site and but a lot of my listeners had never heard of it yeah and um i got definitely got a few emails that were like who the fuck is this guy like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what then, i love that's what i love about him is is he's pushing buttons and and uh you know no one does that you know there's not a lot of people that do that especially in the surf industry you know yeah he's a he's and, a you know he's a provocateur isn't he that's, yeah that's yeah. kind of the the thing but yeah i think you're right it's it's increasingly a bit of an uh, anachronistic role that isn't it in the surf you know to push those buttons and to kind of be that be that guy yeah yeah it's almost yeah. like it's 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 getting quite out of date in a way isn't it you know it's, get, it's getting what it's just getting a bit outdated it's, yeah it's almost yeah. as outdated as the thing it's trying to celebrate in a way yeah yeah yeah, which is which is I, I just found it fascinating. I mean, I met Chaz last year when I was in Encinitas and he was just charming. He was just a lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to him then I was like, do you want to come on the podcast? He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so, yeah. And, and I've, I've just always found that whole thing, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, like I surfing was the final one for me. So it's not yeah. like I was a grom, like super immersed in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah. So it was like as I got more and more into surfing, you know, when you get into all that stuff a bit older, obviously you can kind of see it for what it is a little bit more. So I just found that whole thing quite fascinating, really. Yeah. That, you know, the kind of, the founding <clears throat> myths, as it were. Yeah, it's and, like and the, they're they're uh, still trying to tout this myth that um, it was gone long time ago, you know? Um, yeah, but, well, but I, I guess that's why I asked you about the North Shore earlier, because it's, you know, such an integral part of that myth isn't it and that story yeah and it's still it still kind of exists over here like like i said i kind of i kind of miss the old guard you know like north shore in the 90s i was kind of thinking i was real late to the game because you know of course i've just like devoured all the stories and stuff from the 70s and the 60s and 80s and all that um but it was still pretty heavy here in the 90s it was still really rough and you had to really watch yourself and and um but i but I, lo I loved it. You know, I, I love that you had to um, pay your dues and you had, it took time. You couldn't just 
come over here and just get into the scene or get waves right away you know and there, there's like this this uh barrier you know between you and the surf that you had to kind of navigate you know and, and um yeah so i kind of miss that you know and but the, the surfing it's like I try not, you know, I try not to, I don't like to stick in the past and become an angry old guy, you know, like I'm still, I still love surfing. I surf every day and, and I'm still, I'm watching the kids surf these days and it's just mind blowing. And, and that there's some cool shit going on here, you know, like the, the, the other day there's this, um, this weekend they had a little, um, grassroots surf contest at Rocky Point here and all the hottest kids in the neighborhood they're all, you know, they're partying down there. They're drinking beer, smoking joints and surfing. Right. And they got, their, you know, their little funny contest. And it's cool, you know. And, and um, yeah, it's like I, I you got to you, you can't just look back and say everything's different. Like, I think, you know, once you fall into that, you're just a grumpy old surfer, you know. And um, yeah, so I, there's plenty, I, plenty of them around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty of them around. So I'm really positive about surfing and where it is right now. And and um, but but surfers are different, you know. I got there's this one thing that happened when I was living in Santa Barbara that was really telling. And this is I tell this story all the time. But so that this neighbor of mine, she's like a probably in her mid 30s, early 30s, kind of an adult learner, like kind of gotten into surfing. And after hearing the story, it's like you find out that this is the archetypical surfer, like. And the story she tells me, she goes, hey, did you hear? I used to live at this one surf spot over there called Hammonds. And she goes, did you hear about what happened yesterday? And I go, no. And she goes, oh, this big guy dropped in on a wave like a big dude, probably in his early 40s, dropped in on a wave. And some kid like in his 20s just burned him. And the guy said, hey, hey, you know, like, you know, hey, hey, kind of let him know like he's back to like get off, you know. And the kid stayed on the wave the entire time. And then they kicked down the inside and the guy kind of said, hey, you know, what's up with that? You know, kind of just like and the kids started mouthing off on him, you know, like just started just laying into him. So he burns him, doesn't get off his wave and the kid mouths off on him. So the guy, I guess he broke his fins out of his surfboards and maybe slapped him in the face, you know, right. yeah. which is what what happens when you do that. When you when, if you're a little guy and you're like going to yell at like a big guy, you get your fucking ass kicked. Like that's just. I mean, I, that that is definitely like if you're gonna you're gonna do that, you, you, there's gonna be some kind of repercussion. Isn't yeah, there? that that's just what happens in life, right? So the kid goes in and calls the cops, and the guy gets to his car, and the cops are waiting, and he gets arrested and put in jail. And she goes, Can "Yeah, you well, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tricky one to explain, isn't it? In, well, the, in the cold in the cold light of a, you know." Yeah, I mean, it's so but the, the, the crazy part of the story, she goes, can you believe that? And I'm and I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking I, I can't believe that kid like but she is like, yeah, all she's for like it. what what he deserved it. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And when yeah. I real I looked at her and I'm like, oh, she's in favor of the kid. And I was like, fuck, like this. Well, is that, the, that is so common, though, isn't it? When you surf yeah. and people people drop in and they genuinely get angry like that that is so common i mean i if anyone ever drops it on me i'm i always just try and explain like <laughs> yeah. you know i'm always just a bit like okay so what's going on? you know what i mean because yeah because because a lot of the time people obviously just don't know the rope the etiquette and, yeah yeah and, exactly. and, and, and and the danger and then also people just get so angry when they get challenged don't they yeah so but it is incredible like the amount yeah the amount of times you get dropped in on and, and then people 
acts as if you're the aggressor it's very odd isn't it yeah it's strange and and that was really telling to me that that this is the new surfer like she was we were totally divided there like i thought she was on my side she thought i was on her side but like i was all for the big guy that hit him and she was all for the kid that called the cops you know and i was like oh that's the new surfer like the new like the old surfers like Hey, that's what you get if you're a kid and you if you if you drop in on somebody and didn't get out of their way and you mouthed off to him and the guy's bigger than you, you just get your ass kicked. I mean, that's how it works. Like if you're going to do that, that's but you don't call the cops, you know. And so so yeah, that was really I was like, "Okay, that's how surfing is now. That's so different." Like surfers you take care of it yourself. You don't call the police, you know? Like so Did you did you try and explain that perspective to her? No, no, I, it was so, I could, I realized this, and she's a sweet girl, I, she was my neighbor, really cool girl, um, I really like her, um, but I, it was so, our worlds were so different at that point, I was like, wow, okay, this is just a totally different world yeah. here, like, it's like, a good um, metaphor, isn't it, for the, for the shift, yeah, and I was like, wow, that's the, okay, so you call the cops now, like, you know, like, it's strange, you know, but, um, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, you know, it's good not to have violence or whatever, but I mean, I don't know. There's a there's a line. It's like you, you th- that's kind of how life is. Like you, I'm not gonna go like, you know, mouth off to some big dude and expect nothing. You know, like if you well, do the that, the thing you gotta, is like, as well like, that that it is there for a reason. Like you know, yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it is that there is, and that's the thing. That's what I mean. You know, it, it, all piss taken aside, like that's what I mean when I say if someone does it to me, I do just try and say to them like look here's why you shouldn't do that because it's fucking dangerous especially yeah especially yeah, when yeah. especially when there's like it's actually good surf um, yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so you're gonna surf today uh hopefully yeah it's um the oh, waves man. are small but we um Jealous. you know it's been kind of um i almost feel guilty about what the the north shore has been like the last couple months because you know the I, I haven't even been telling my friends or, or like rubbing it in their faces or anything just because it's I feel so guilty about it. But the North Shore has been it's probably been the best spring season ever than anybody can ever remember. Um, wow. Way, like April, which is usually the waves are tapering off in April and getting smaller. It was like huge for maybe two or three weeks, just giant like. Um, some days totally closed out like and there's just been it's been one of these crazy springs it's it's a spring that it's it's what winter time should have looked like this winter it's been crazy so we've been we've had a great stretch of surf and I think this is the first flat day in maybe a month or two but um, so yeah it's been that's been the another silver lining too it's been uh, relatively uncrowded and in good waves so um, nice Sounds great. It's been, yeah, I've, I've been, yeah, it's been driving my wife crazy because I just been, I, tell, I keep telling her, I go, look, babe, this is, you don't see, you don't see. <laughs> the classic. No, honestly, honestly, yeah. I've got to go again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. You just don't see spring springtime like this, you know, it's just, it's funny, but yeah. anyways, I shouldn't be well, talking about it. I feel bad because, you know, but anyways, whatever, it is what it is yeah um, hey well jeff that was that was fucking great man thank you thank you i'm really glad we got to got yeah to finally finally, do huh? it. finally yeah it's about yeah. It's been, been about a year i think since we first yeah. had a chat 
Yeah, well, I really. I did. I did have plans to to come over there. I've never been to Hawaii, so I oh mean, really? Yeah, that is on the list when this all. Because um, me and my friend Owen, who who takes the pictures for the podcast, okay, uh, we did like a California trip last year. We did a we done a few. We did we did an island like west coast of Ireland trip, and he keeps saying like Hawaii. We got to go to Hawaii. Oh, do a load of episodes. oh, yeah, you got you got to come over here and let, definitely let me know. We'll hang out. You know. It's, yeah, um, man, I'd love to. That'd be great. It's yeah. such a it's such a great place because there's there's a, a certain side of the North Shore that people hate. Like it's just it can be such a scene, but a lot of those people that hate it only come here in November and December when it's just a scene. So yeah. it's easy to not like it during those times, but there's so much history here and there's so many characters and um, it's just like, I mean, you walk into these houses that, you know, so many people like along the coast here, so many, so many of the houses have so much history and the people that have lived in them. And you see these like pictures on the walls of the guys that have been here before and girls and stuff. And anyways, I think you just, you just really enjoy the whole thing. It's just, a yeah, classic, man, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to do it. So there you go. That was me and Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, very much enjoyed chatting away across the time zones. And I can confirm that the spot he was recording from was as idyllic as it sounded, and it put my little Port Slade shed into some much-needed perspective, whether the sun's shining or not. And the fact we ended up chatting about Chaz Smith at the end was pretty topical, actually, because like I said to Jeff, I got a fair few interesting messages about that one. And one of them stood out, and I thought it was worth sharing in, here it comes, this week's housekeeping corner. Well, it has been a while. Now, I'm not going to read out the actual email because it was a bit of a correspondence in the end. But the upshot was this listener felt I was too soft on Chaz and that I should be letting my own opinions come through a little bit more in the interviews. Now, it is an interesting point and it is kind of related to that old canard that rears its head every now and again when people write into me and complain that they don't know who the guest is and they're annoyed with me because I didn't explain enough or provide enough backstory or ask enough questions that spelled out for that listener's own personal edification exactly who the person they're listening to was. And the reason I think they're related is because I think the answer's the same, really. You know, I my job in this is to just try and build trust so people are comfortable opening up. And I think it seems to be working pretty well so far. I just don't think in the context of what I'm trying to do with Looking Sideways, the interviewers taking interviewees to task leads to effective interviews, really. I mean, it can lead to gobshite presenters thinking they're far more important than the subject. I've just got no interest in doing that, really, especially having been guilty of it plenty of times over the course of my journalistic career over the years. You know, I made a decision when I started this podcast to approach it in the way that I'm I'm doing it. And like I said, I think it's I think it's working working all well. He, of course, it was a man, made the further point that the other reason I should be doing it is because listeners are interested in what I think. To which I guess I'd answer that if people are asked, I think there's enough clues lying around the place as to what I actually think. And if you can be bothered to look for them, then fine. If not, then that's fine too. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting. And as ever, I enjoy reading every bit of correspondence I get from listeners, even the ones that are giving me shit because they don't know who the interviewees are. So keep them coming, either to podcast at com 
or you can get over to my DMs. I nearly said slide in, and then I realized I'm 44 years of age. Over at We Look Sideways on Instagram, I'm 43, I'm 44. In two weeks, in fact. How the fuck did that happen? Speaking of which, of Instagram, that is, segue alert. That's kind of how sorting out a donate button came about, which is a development of recent weeks. And it came from various listener suggestions. So that's right. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help keep it free and ad free, you can now donate to help keep it that way. You don't have to buy any merch. You don't have to leave a review. You don't have to share it on social. You can just literally donate. Now, it wasn't my idea. This came about when listener Sven got in touch and said, I love your podcast, especially type two. Awesome. Keep it going. I considered buying some merch, but I think I already have too many t-shirts. Is it possible to support your podcast with a donation? Now, I thought that was A, quite nice and B, very unusual because it's the first time I've ever had anybody ask me if they can just donate. So as is my want, I put it up on Instagram stories and was like, hey, look at this. And pretty soon people started replying saying, well, we would do that. And then somebody else got in touch saying, well, there's even a website where people can buy you a coffee as a nice way of donating and you should set one of them up. So I did a poll which I also occasionally do on Instagram. And it was 100% of people saying I should do it. So I thought, fuck it. I'll set it up and see what happens. And you know what? People started donating, which is extremely nice because it will help keep this thing that many thousands of people seem to enjoy going. And it'll keep it free and it'll keep it ad free. Now, obviously, it's a bit fucking weird, this type of thing. But then you know what? I thought, well, I have dedicated literally tens of thousands of hours to this. And if people want to be nice and, you know, help pay for it, then I'll, thanks. So that's what I did. I set it up. And if you want to donate, you can. Um, so you, the way you want, can do that is head over to Instagram at We Look Sideways, click the link in the bio and click donate now. I know it's a bit convoluted and it'd be a lot easier if I just said there's a button on the website, but I just haven't got around to doing that. So if I do get around to doing it, I'll talk about it here. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Jeff. Going to hold you to that Hawaii trip. Um, yeah, I'll be back way more frequently now as I've got loads of episodes lined up. So I'll release them as a tick them off. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Nice one. See you later.